0: Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel and resources for pastors. You can get more information at the shepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. We're at episode 133 and today we're going to continue going through the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 7 and we're going to Learn some pastoral lessons from Jesus. That's what we've been doing. But let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll we'll hear from the Lord. Lord, we need your wisdom. We always need your wisdom, wisdom that comes from above. I ask that you would lead this short time that we have together, and I pray that it would be helpful for those who are listening, listening in. And, Lord, I just pray that this would be fun. I pray that this would be uh, honoring of you and helpful to the hearer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I hope you're well. So today I am modeling, for those of you that don't have... Uh, the video, you're not watching on video, you're just listening to the audio, which is a majority of my listeners. I've been trying out this Gab TV thing and it's been okay. It's been fun. The one thing I've been a little bit disappointed in is it doesn't have a full archive of shows. It only stores, I think, 250 gigs. So I can keep about, I don't know, 12 or 16 episodes up and then the, the, you know, the last ones file out of there when the next one uploads and pushes that back one out. And so that's kind of annoying, but there's still a, a pretty good archive there of shows. But uh, for those who are listening, I'll post this in the, I'll post a picture in the Instagram feed or something like that. But this hat right here is the, uh, some of the swag that we're going to get for the intensive and the patch. There's going to be a circle patch right here. That's the Shepherd's Crook logo, but I got a mid profile hat. So it doesn't sit too high off of your head and it's a camo with mesh backing. So kind of a summer hat and I really am happy with the look. And so we're going to be giving away that hat. And you're also going to get, if you come to the intensive, you're going to get a uh, airtight or watertight bag for the river. And so if anytime you're out and you just need something to keep dry, it's just a dry bag. But it'll be a pretty big one. We needed those last year, and so that's what we're going to get for the swag this year. I try every year to get something neat and creative and and uh, kind of unique. Last year, we partnered with Bless My Buckskins, which is my buddy Joey Hawkins' side business. And everybody got a really nice hatchet that came. And so this year, everybody will get a nice hat. And uh, also, you're going to get some pretty cool outdoor gear from Zero Mile Mark as well. And so you're going to get some shirts and other hats from from that company. It's a company that is, they're just friends of ours and they're hooking us hooking us up with some gear. So you'll get some really neat gear if you come to the intensive. Check it out in the show notes. I've been talking enough about it. So if you want to come, come. we will love for you to bring your team. All right, John chapter seven. We're walking through the gospel of John because what we're, what we're trying to do is shatter the idea that you know, Jesus often quarreled and picked fights, but the requirement to be an elder is that a man must not be quarrelsome. And so there's, there's got to be a way, as Scripture interprets Scripture, to be to get in quarrels, to pick fights, and, and to have righteous indignation, and to flip over tables, Yet, but also to fulfill the requirement of an elder to be gentle and to not be quarrelsome. So there's a way to quarrel without being quarrelsome. There's a way over to tip over tables without being, uh, you know, ungentle. You know, you can flip tables over and still be gentle. And so we're we're trying to walk that line because we we want to see that Jesus is the first Timothy three Titus chapter one, qualifications for being an elder, and He's those things personified. So here's the perfect picture of what these qualifications look like. And there's a time and place for everything. You know, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter three. There's a time and place for everything. So each of these virtues. In, in the wrong situation, gentleness is actually not gentleness at all. It's actually sin. And in the wrong situation, harshness or or tipping over tables would be sin. So it, you have to know the time and place for the virtues that we see in Christ. And in 1 Timothy 3, as these things are personified, you have to do this in the right and proper proportion. And so there's a way to be quarrelsome, or there's a way to quarrel without being quarrelsome. And that's a necessity. Because today, by today's standards, any sort of... Uh, picking of a fight, any sort of uh, being on the offense is viewed as being in sin or disqualifying and and that's foolishness. And so we're in John chapter seven looking at these things, taking pastoral lessons from Jesus. all right? So now the story of of John seven is there's a a fest, a feast, there's a, a festival, and, and it's the Feast of booths. And we could go into the details about the Feast of Booths and how Jesus stands up in the last day, uh, declaring that the, that he is the ultimate end of this feast as well. But we're going to specifically focus in on the timing of Jesus as he goes up to Jerusalem. And we're going to look specifically at the way in which Jesus spoke, which shook people to the core. Okay, so let's first look at the timing. Uh, Starting in verse 1, after Jesus went to Galilee, he would not go about to Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So the brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you're doing. For no one does in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. This is kind of like a little side note in the story. Not even his brothers believed in him. It's fascinating to me that we see this in other, the other Gospels as well, where there, there was a season when Jesus was doing public ministry where his family did not believe in him. They did not believe that he was who he says he was. And that had to be some sort of resolve that we see within Jesus that even even his family didn't believe. And so Jesus, in his full humanity, kept going forward knowing that even his brothers didn't believe in him. And I think there's a lot to this to, uh, to say about this for pastors today. Uh, when we're staying faithful and the Overton window continues to move to the left, 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 and um, it, it, into complete nonsense, we have to stay the course and we have to be okay with people not believing in what we're doing. As we're trying to stand with the word of God, there's going to be people who are throwing you know, spiritual warfare grenades at us and not believing uh, that what we're doing is right. And we have to keep with that manly resolve, with that Christ-like resolve, doing what God's called us to do according to his word. It goes on, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil, which after the resurrection, we know that the world will hate us also. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying these things, he remained in Galilee. Now, this is fascinating. Because Jesus definitively says he's not going up to the feast. And the reason he says he's not going to the feast is that his time has not yet come. Very next verse. Two verses later, actually. Verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up. Not publicly, but in private. Now, wait a minute. I thought he wasn't going to the feast, and now he says he is going to the feast. Because he first says that his time has not yet come, and now... He's going up there privately, but then a few verses later, he, he steps out of the private experience of the feast into the public teaching in the temple. Verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. Now, the timing of the feast and what Jesus does here, it's all important. You can you know dive into your commentaries. You guys probably know some about this. But about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. Now he's public. But he had already said he's not going to the feast. Then he does it privately, and now he's doing this publicly. And we see that this is the same pattern that we we find through the Gospel of John of Jesus walking in step with the tune of his father. Whatever his he sees his father father doing, he does. And at first, the the timing was not yet right. Now, we already know that public ministry had started with Jesus. And so it wasn't that he was just simply revealing himself as, as the man now doing public ministry. But there was something to the timing in which he was going up to this feast. He wasn't going to go unless it was the time for him to go, ordained and determined by his heavenly Father. Now, there, there are some subjective implications here, you know, objective implications, but subjective when it comes to our experience of, of the timing of God. Um, I think all of us have experienced moving too quickly in life. Uh, in the sermon yesterday, I was preaching in Nehemiah. And one of the things that was interesting, I think it was in verse 14 in chapter, yeah, it's in chapter 4. Uh, And or maybe no, it's chapter it's verse nine in chapter four. We see that uh, Nehemiah and the boys they prayed, and then they took up arms. They prayed first, and then they acted. And I think probably everybody in pastoral ministry and everybody else that's not a pastor that's listening in, you've all experienced times when you moved too quickly, or you were just in a hurry, and you just didn't like the situation that you were in, so you looked for any opportunity out, and you took it. And instead of waiting and being patient and waiting for God to open the appropriate door or slam shore shut the door. Now, God has his sovereign way of working with our mistakes and our sins, clearly. But we've all moved too quickly, and we've been antsy. And and we weren't patient. And we moved through and we forced something open that we shouldn't have forced open. In a small way or a big way, I guess. Jesus is modeling here waiting on the timing of the Lord, waiting on his heavenly father's timing, not moving too quickly not moving too slow, wanting to do exactly what God would do in the way God the Father would have him do it. And I think there's a lesson for every pastor here. Sometimes um, we're too slow to act and so we're sitting on it and we're waiting patient and we're not ever pulling a trigger. We're not ever actually getting it done because we're, we're trying to say, you know, we're, we're waiting for the perfect situation and the perfect situation never comes. And so we miss an opportunity to do some good work because we're not, putting our hand to the plow. We're nervous, we're scared, we're not we're we're just refusing to do the work that God has called us to do. But here Jesus waited and then at the right time, at the right time just a two a few verses later after his brothers had already went up, this is the right time to go up to Jerusalem privately, and then Jesus stepped into speaking publicly when it was the right time. So we always pray and we always act and we try to wait on the timing of the Lord. And sometimes God's timing is slower than we like and we feel like it's just dragging on the situation we're in. It feels like it's just, it is just a drag, man, and it's taking, it feels like it's sucking the life out of me. And then sometimes God works so quickly where we feel nervous because the door opens so quickly and we feel like God is kind of giving his, you know, God-sized boot and, and kicking us through the door and we're just trying to hold on and figure out you know what exactly God is doing. You know don't be afraid to walk through doors that God is opening because it's quick. Because sometimes God moves quicker than we would like and sometimes he moves slower than we would like and we want to keep in in step with the spirit in that in that way. But then when Jesus begins to teach, the second big piece I want you to see here. Maybe there's three or four big pieces. I don't know. We've already talked about the timing thing and his brothers not believing in him, but this piece is really Interesting, because when he begins to speak in the middle of the feast, the Jews marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? You know, Jesus is not a formal rabbi. He worked the blue-collar work with with his earthly father, Joseph, which I think is wonderful, by the way. Verse 16, So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Oh my, this is a huge, huge piece that every single pastor needs to hear. Every pastor needs to hear. Especially the quote-unquote prophetic type, the, uh, uh, the the type that is the Moses model of ministry that's leading the charge, taking the hill, and the vision that they have is for the church and the visionary leader. You guys have heard me deconstruct these models of ministry before uh, over over a series of episodes. I'm going to get some more coffee for all my, my listeners. And so Jesus speaks, they marvel, and he says, this is not my teaching, it's from the Lord pastor there is a pull in us to get creative especially if you're a sermon series guy if you're preaching through sermon series this is where you're going to this is where you're going to tend to lean uh, it's going to be into your creativity and it's going to be into uh, this idea of of feeling out the congregation praying through and thinking okay this is going to be the sermon series that they need and then I'm going to get some verses to to build this topical preaching can be glorious if it is thoroughly expository if you are preaching specific passages and you're not forcing your sermon themes into those passages. You have to be willing after you select a text to preach a particular topic as you're studying and pressing in if you're realizing wait a minute this is not this is not going the direction that my sermon series you have to either like shift the sermon series or not preach that passage because you don't want to force your sermon series into the passage. Creative eisegesis is still eisegesis and it's unholy and it's not right. Jesus said here, my teaching is not mine, but Him who, but his who sent me. And guys, that's what we're heralds of, the word of God. We are not heralds of our creativity or what we can figure out or what we can wow people with. We don't want people walking away thinking, huh, I've never heard that before anywhere from anyone. He's the only one who has access, and pastors love who are this Moses-type pastor. They love the gnosis, the... the idea that I've got secret knowledge that nobody else has. You know, I, I've got the Gnostic spirit that, that everybody is going to come and hear from me. And rarely is, that, is it that flamboyantly arrogant. But pastor, we have to watch that from the inside out. We have to watch that in the verse 18, we hear more specific teaching from Jesus. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. This is the dividing line between false teachers and those who are preaching out of a sincere heart. Is, are you in this for your glory or the glory of God? The one who seeks his own glory speaks on his own authority. They're always saying, you're just going to have to trust me. I know exactly what God is doing. I know where we're going. you got to follow me. It's all about his own glory. Vainglory, I tell you what, it is a drug that is more addictive than meth. Vainglory and and wanting more for yourself, the praise of people, it is a train that is almost impossible to stop once it gets going. And if you're a man who's driven by your ego you need to get out of the pulpit or immediately get on your knees right now. Push pause, get on your knees, and if you're doing this thing for the glory of people, you've got to repent before the Lord and even repent before your people. Stand up and say, I have been doing this for my own glory, and I have been wanting your praise, and I have been speaking out of my own authority, and it has not been right. And listen, if you're a naturally very gifted speaker, and you can get up and you can, through theatrics and through just your oratory skills, you can hold captive an audience you are, you are susceptible to preaching out of the own gifting authority that God has given you. He's given you these gifts, and you'll use these gifts for your glory instead of His glory. And you've got to be aware of that. But the one who seeks the glory of Him who sent Him is true. This principle applies to pastors. Seek the glory, not that comes from men, but seek God's glory. And seek other people who will turn their attention, not to you, but they will see God working through you well, hey, listen, this is right the right time to quit because my son Valor just showed up. It's only 5.08. He is up too early. You want to say hey to everybody? You want to say hey? Hey. Hey, guys. Uh, so don't seek the glory that comes from men, Guys, this is a great place to end. I hope you have a great day today. And as always, if you would help me spread the word about the podcast, Click uh, subscribe, share. If you'd leave a rating and a review, and then share these episodes with your pastor friends or anybody else that you think would benefit from from hearing this stuff, would love for you to share with me and uh, look into coming to the intensive. Would love to have you. I hope you guys have a great day.